It's time for the Had It. It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, 30th day of September 2015. And uh, today we're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And our guest speakers today are uh, uh, Alicia and Kelly. Hi. Hi, how are you ladies doing today? Good, it's just Alicia right now. Kelly's printing something out. She'll be here in a minute. (laughs) Oh, that's fine, that's fine. Yep. I was just telling John, you know, I said, boy, they kind of close. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you girls on. I tell you, you're a breath of fresh air for us. Well, thank uh, you. We love being here. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and, and you give out such great information. That's really nice. And... Uh, I think uh, we were going to talk about the claims issue, the backlogs. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think Kelly's printing some numbers on that right now. That's what she's getting for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, isn't that a mess? That, that's horrible, the backlog. That's for sure. It's quite a mess. It, uh, I don't know. Uh what about legal action? Is there any legal action, or, or do we have to handle this? This should be an issue that uh, we shouldn't have to handle on an individual basis. We, we should be able to group this issue together somehow. Right. And, uh, it's, it's frustrating for a lot of veterans. We actually get that question a lot if we're doing a class action for the backlog times. We are not doing that right now, uh, but if people are interested in that, we keep their name and information in case um, we hear of another firm that's doing it. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can round you up some business. Uh, <laughs> help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because uh, there's bound to be other firms interested in this. It's, it's turned, well, it's, it's always been an issue, but uh, right. I think I think it's uh, it's getting worse uh, further time we go, and it'll probably That's definitely continue. True. They just pile up. Yeah, yeah. They uh, and uh, now the ones in the backlog. And in transit, are those claims counted as claims? I mean, you know, in the number of claims and process. Right, the ones that are still in the backlog? Yeah. Yeah, um, they are to a certain extent. What VA tried to do was, you know, the regulations changed earlier this year on filing informal claims and submitting notice of disagreements, and you actually have to use the forms now. And so what VA did was they sent back all those those claims to people and said, no, you have to file this form and do this, and then they didn't count those as 
claim. So they said, oh, look how much progress we're making, when in reality they, they still had the same number they'd always had. Yeah. Somebody ought yeah. lost a job over that. Uh, it was a nice little PR stunt they tried to pull, you know, getting all the news outlets to report that the VA reports the backlog is going down, when in reality it went down because VA sent all these veterans back their claims saying, no, you have to do this again. <laughs> That's kind of like walking through the desert seeing a mirage. Right? <laughs> you should have known it was too good to be true. And then there's all these veterans who think they've submitted a claim and all of a sudden get something back, then they're completely confused and they don't understand. Now, yeah. it is my understanding that those rule changes are being challenged in court. Is that, is that my understanding? That is correct, and Kelly could talk a little bit more about that. But, yes, they, there, is, um, there is a current argument about that. I think they'll go bye-bye real soon. Yeah, let's hope so. It's you know, it's so frustrating to the veterans, too. It's a confusing form, especially the notice of disagreement form, and they have to put down, you know, if you want service connection or if you want a percentage and what percentage you want, and how are you supposed to know, you know? Like, it's not like everybody has that knowledge to know what they want to put down. We just advise everybody to always put down 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I don't put percentage. I put, the, I put the maximum amount allowed by law. <laughs> Right, but you know what I, you know what I mean. It's it's not so confusing for some people. We get a lot of calls like that where they where people ask what they're supposed to put down or how they fill out that form. It's it's just really hard. Yeah, and they kind of, I like I like how they yo-yo the backlog. They say the backlog's reduced greatly, but then you look at the pills backlog and it's increased by eighty <laughs> percent. Right, I know. Yeah, why they try and uh, yeah. Yeah, I think on Kelly's uh, blog, you know, the, the Bergman and Moore blog, The Morning Muster, Kelly reported that today marked VA's deadline to end the initial claims backlog. Um, and while those claims have been reduced to 74,000, the disability appeals still continue to go up. Yeah. Yeah, we had a uh, – I attended a town uh, forum last night. It's a town hall forum from uh, one of our congressmen. He had several callers on the line, and that was the biggest issue was – the Department of Veteran Affairs, the backlog was one of them, but just uh, people even talking about criminal charges and everything against the VA, they're so upset. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Yeah. You know, we get calls all the time from people who say they've been waiting three years for a decision and are wondering what's going to happen, you know, how much longer it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> tell you, you know, some veterans just waited 14 and 15, so... Maybe that'll appease them a little bit. Oh, my gosh. I saw a case a couple weeks ago that had been open since 2002. Mm -hmm. Just kept getting remanded by the board. You know, the board sends it back. They don't want to make a decision on it, and so it had been open, I mean, 13 years. That sounds like a fellow sitting under the chair over here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gerald's in the same boat. Yeah, mine goes back to 2000. Yeah. It's just ridiculous to think that you wait over 10 years to get these benefits. I just keep remanding it back to the AMC, and then after a year or two, the AMC sends it back, and then they remand it back to them and say they didn't do their job. It's not what, what I've done. It's what 
the BA has done, you know, or didn't do. It's right. Ridiculous. I mean, you know, I mean, after so many times, and I spoke to a lady there at AMC, and I said, how long can this continue? And uh, she told me she, she knows of some that's been remanded back 13 to 15 times. Uh, yeah, I've seen one I think the most I've ever seen is five or six, but that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, each time it gets remanded back, you you paid up another two years at least. Exactly. Very seldom they ever just turn right around. I mean, you know, it's going to sit there and collect dust for a while. Right, until they get to it. All the other remands they have to get to first. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it, what do you do? So, at least anything new happened at Bourbonmore? Um, you know, I wouldn't say anything new. Same old with some claims. But, you know, what we've been seeing a lot of lately, honestly, is traumatic brain injury claims. Um, I want to say we've, you know, we've taken about 10 of those recently. We see a lot of them. And a lot of them where um, VA has actually, the veteran has experienced, like, a full-body trauma during service. You know, they were, they were hit or they experienced a blast or something. And VA will grant them service connection for PTSD but deny their traumatic brain injury claim. Um, and we often see even if they grant it, they'll assign a 0% for the traumatic brain injury. And then they say that all the veterans' symptoms are due to the psychiatric disorder, the PTSD, and not the traumatic brain injury. Uh, and we've, we've taken some of those lately where VA is trying to claim that it's, not, uh, that it's not a traumatic brain injury, that it's the psychiatric symptoms. And while a lot of the okay. symptoms do overlap, there are definitely some very specific ones to traumatic brain injuries. And there's a lot of potential to get um, special monthly compensation if you have a traumatic brain injury, um, much more than normal. And so we really like to help veterans get those, especially because a lot of the times, you know, they really need the extra help. They can't drive or, you know, have a job or anything just because it's too difficult. Mm-hmm. That's the SMC of T. Yes, correct. Uh, it's kind of like the old borderline personality disorder in the Vietnam War. Other kicking all these folks out of the military and slapping them with that designator personality disorder to keep them from getting any VA benefits for their post-traumatic stress disorder. It's kind of along the same lines as that. Let's find something to substitute so they can't get service connected for it. Right, exactly. Yeah, VA likes to say it would be pyramiding if we gave you both. But the truth is that, you know, there's very specific things to traumatic brain injury. I've seen ones that are loss of smell, um, like extreme confusion, can't um, follow directions, or forgetfulness. I had one veteran recently who couldn't rem- he had small children and couldn't remember their names. Um, and VA was trying to say that that was just PTSD. It wasn't a traumatic brain injury. And I think a lot of the times, you know, maybe even veterans don't realize that the symptoms they're experiencing could be due to that traumatic brain injury they experienced so long ago because it just doesn't – maybe you got diagnosed with a concussion back in service, and here 40 years later, all of a sudden you're having these symptoms that actually relate back that far. Well, we predicted on this – uh, on the podcast uh, several years back, actually. It has been, I don't know how many, but we predicted that the traumatic brain injuries was going to become a, a hot 
hot issues further down the road. There were just too many uh, uh, veterans or too many military personnel getting uh, getting uh, you know exploded. I mean, you get around one of them explosions, you don't have to be right next to it or blew all apart. Uh, you can be quite a distance from one of them, and the concussion can still get you. Correct, correct. Yeah, we've seen a lot of those lately, and we've had a lot of um, questions about surviving spouse benefits lately. I think that's what we've gotten a lot of questions about um, from, you know, widows who are trying to file a claim after their husband has passed away. Got a lot of those lately. And um, I think one thing that a lot of people call us don't know is that um, if a veteran has a claim open and they pass away in the middle of the claim, a surviving spouse can be substituted. Um, and so, you know, we've seen ones where the appellant might file, the widow might file for surviving spouse benefits, but they don't file to be substituted. Um, and so, you know, they can keep that claim open. And in some cases, it goes back eight years or so, and then, you know, the, we can work with the appellant to get them those benefits. But we've gotten a lot of questions about that lately, about the difference between substitution versus surviving spouse benefits. And substitution is when, you know, the, the veteran has a claim and the veteran passes away and the, the wife files to be substituted or the surviving spouse, you know, files to be substituted and will get paid at the amount the veteran would have been paid up until the date of death. So, you know, if the claim goes back to 2010 and the veteran passes away now, they get paid at that rate all the way up from 2010 to now, and then they receive surviving spouse benefits going forward. Yeah, so it's a difference between accrued benefits, which is like the retroactive benefits, versus surviving spouse benefits. Well, that's only fair that they would do that. I mean, you know, pay it back. Uh, we have several uh, spouses now that we've been working with that are in that category. They're, uh, the veteran did file a claim and then uh, passed on shortly after they filed the claims, actually. We just caught them in time to get them to file the claims. Yeah, Alicia, we're fortunate to have it. We've got a lady that, uh very intelligent young lady. She has been through this a few times, and uh, she basically wrote the book on spousal benefits and things like that because, I mean, she is, uh, she just put so much information and things out that, uh, you know, we don't really have a major league problem with that issue. And uh, she's been so helpful to so many people. I want to give her a shout-out. Her name is Berta Simmons. And uh, when we had her on last week, matter of fact, on our show, which we did a uh, end of life type show, and it's pretty good. You know, we try to tell the veterans that you know if your spouse is sick and or you know if they're going to pass away, we try to put the word out what they have to do, and uh, hopefully they can make a list up and get everything done. You know, and it's a you know, it's kind of a morbid type show, but uh, it was necessary. Right, I agree. You know, sometimes. We do have we have our clients or veterans call and say that they've been diagnosed as terminal and they're worried about what's going to happen to their family or their wife and that you know it is morbid but it's how we explain it about what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, well, in the life uh, folder where they put all the pertinent information needed uh, in one location there, so uh, you know when they do pass on, their spouse can uh, won't have to deal with trying to hunt everything up. Yeah. Right, exactly. So you guys, Kelly just got here now, so she's here. Hi, guys. Hey, young lady. 
How are you? Oh, good. Good. Uh, you got some good information for us today. I do. Well, you know, today is... I'm sorry? Yeah. <laughs> you know, today is the deadline for VA to finish their, um, or to meet their uh, backlog for the claims. Oh. oh. So they yeah. draw a line, line. They draw a line in the sand and write dead under it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they were up at uh, six hundred thousand claims backlogged in twenty thirteen, and as of yesterday, they were at seventy four thousand four hundred twenty. And I went to um, there was a a session yesterday, a veteran session sponsored by Iraq Afghanistan Veterans of America and Defense One yesterday morning. And Danny Pimmel was there, who's undersecretary um, for benefits, and he said that he doesn't think they're ever going to meet that deadline. He doesn't think they'll ever get rid of that backlog. Mm-hmm. So, no, no. How many? Then, how many? Uh, how many do they have then? Seventy-four thousand four hundred twenty. Okay. But he also said that the other goal was to try to get the the um, claims process down under 30 days, and he said they weren't close to that either, as you might have suspected. 30 days. <laughs> um, wonder what the appeals backlog looks like. Yeah. Um, the appeals, I, I did a chart for that this morning. Uh, it was about 250,000 in 2013, so it was below the number of, of uh, backlogged initial claims. And now it's up to 318,486 as of yesterday. So that's gone up about 68,000 claims as they've reduced their initial claims. So it's like a revolving door. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've got more appeals claims now than we do a backlog of initial claims. So it doesn't seem, I mean, they said that they were going to take all of their resources and throw them at the initial claims, and and they did. (laughs) So. Kind of like deflating a tire. You pump so much air in a tire, your other tires are going to show higher or lower. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that session was interesting. He said um, he said he thinks that things are getting a lot better, and he was kind of bragging on um, how veterans can call VA now and get their phone calls returned, and that he gets 500 emails a day that he responds to, and his staff is kind of complaining that that's too many veterans. And Alicia could probably talk a little bit about what the response has been here when we call on a claim and, and how often um, we, we get a phone call back. Yeah, um, we actually, this is kind of funny, we had somebody from a regional office call us, I want to say it was about two weeks ago, and they didn't have any information about who had called them or which veterans they were calling about. They said all they were told was that they needed to call us, that they had no idea who they were supposed to even be checking up on with us or what. So we put them, we said, all right, everybody get together your list and we're just going to transfer this person. <laughs> um, yeah, but they had no idea. That's how inadequate the system was, that they just said, I was told to call you because you had a question about a veteran or maybe multiple veterans. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the incompetency level that it was. Wow. That particular day, yeah, they had no clue. That's so, kind of strange. emails. <laughs> Yeah. Um, he said that before veterans didn't have anyone they could reach, they could actually reach. And, and our um, lawyers, our attorneys here say they call the the regional officer, offices and, and don't get their phone calls returned for, for months. 
So, I mean, it'd be great if that changes, but but to have him say that just yesterday like it was a done deal didn't seem terribly um, accurate. Well, don't they have you guys in a funnel? Like, uh, for example, you guys can call and talk to it. Don't they have an attorney on Budsman or something that you guys talk to when you guys are dealing with the VA? Isn't it a little bit different? Yeah, well, sometimes. So sometimes we, there's a few people we can contact at a regional office, like an attorney fee coordinator or somebody like that who works with us. Um, but the majority of the time, they're just so backlogged themselves that they don't get back to us for weeks. Um, and sometimes, you know, if we, we do get somebody on the phone, they're not always the most helpful. <laughs> Their systems might not be updated. They might not show that we're the current power of attorney. Um, with that type of stuff happens a lot, actually. And that's part of the oh, reason yeah. the veterans us in the first place because they're so frustrated that no one no one has talked to them. And I will say that we get a lot of veterans who are very confused and they call the 1-800 number and <laughs> we had we had one client we'd represented for 5 years and we called the 1-800 number on their behalf once and they said we weren't representing him. <laughs> That's how outdated their system was at the 1-800 number that they said we weren't the power of attorney for this veteran. <laughs> So mm-hmm. that information is not always accurate. When veterans call, um, they generally can't get a lot of helpful information, and it's the people on the other end of the line don't always know what they're doing. It's very difficult to get accurate, correct information. Well, 15 years ago, I could pick up my telephone. I could call my regional office. I'd call the 800 number, and I'd, I would get my regional office, and I would wow. get somebody inside that office to talk to it. But they changed that when they put these call centers in. Now you call it 1-800. We call it 1-800-PEGGY because they'll take your phone call and they'll transfer you around. And They've got uh, one goal in mind, and that's to get you off the phone. I think they've got like <laughs> two minutes to get each caller off the phone. So it's turned in from – it used to be a productive uh, productive event calling. You know, at least you get some information. But now it's just turned into – it's this turned into a, a Keystone Cops comedy now every time you call. Well, he said that that's all going to change or has changed, so we'll see. We'll be we'll be waiting with bated breath to see if that's what actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you guys saw the scandal that happened or that came out on on Monday with the the two um, health administration officials who were gaming the system so that they could work jobs with less. Um, they had less to do, but they got paid more. Um, that. So I saw that story, and uh, now I don't know how the senior executive service works in the federal government, but uh, <clears throat> I do know and, and for a fact that any time you deal with the rules and guidelines set up, so they're set up by the Office of Personal Management. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, what, what division or agency they work for. Uh, mm-hmm. If someone changes jobs, okay, if you are in a person and you have one job and you change jobs into a lower job, a lower grade job, Mm-hmm. then there's a rule there that you are to retain your pay. Now, I don't know how that works with senior-level senior, you know, senior level people, but, you know, for the regular worker, you're, you know, for example, if you're a, let's go, if you're a GS-6 and uh-huh. you have a reduction in force and you're put into a GS-5 job, then you're given the GS-5 rating, but you're given equivalent steps in that rating to match your pay at the GS-6 level, and it could be a small increase. Yeah. But huh, you know, that's that's just that, that, that. I don't know. Like I said, that's OPM rule. You know that that that's the way. You know, I mean, I've worked for the government for years, so that's how that uh-huh. system works. You know, that's for the general skill people. And I don't know how it works that for the VNs or the, or the you know the other 
or you know the other executive level folks. So that could be an idea. It must be different but, for the senior executives because the Office of Inspector, the Office of Inspector General, recommended that they be punished for the transfer. So apparently there was some kind of wrong thing doing, and they used the word criminal. I think they were looking well, to they see a, a relocation. Uh, yeah, I think they were getting relocation uh, benefits, uh, hundred over $170,000 each or something. Right. One of them moved 120 miles and received $300,000 to relocate. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. What do you buy a house? What's that? They buy our house? They, paid, they shouldn't have done that. They, <laughs> they paid her $200,000 to have someone sell her house. Yeah, I mean, that happens too. However, it's only 20 miles? 120. Okay, because there's like an 80-mile limit there before they'll even do that, 75 or 80 miles. Mm-hmm. Before the, you know, it's uh, it's it's all part of the, I guess, the perks package, but it's, it's, a, it's a big waste of money. Right. It was interesting. Yeah. So Pummel, who was speaking yesterday, is one of the the um, executives that, or one of the the top guys at VA, who the OIG recommended be. They said look at disciplining. They didn't actually recommend disciplining. They said said look at whether they need to be punished for this or not. Um, but he's also one of the board members to oversee um, executives' bonuses. So last year when all of those scandals were going through, he was one of the ones who was approving those those bonuses for the people who were um, screwing up. So. Oh, the scammers. You're talking about uh, Whitegate. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, another question about bonuses. We had brought this up last time in our town hall meeting, too. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, our own employees, regional office employees, get bonuses based on performance and production, right? I'm sorry, the regional office? employees do? Yeah, they get bonuses based on performance and production. Oh, right. They get their evaluations, yeah. So I wonder uh, if that has a lot to do with some of these denial claims. Well, you know, the, the Veterans Service Office organizations have a theory on that, and the theory is that if you gave people bonuses based on how many accurate claims they put through as opposed to how many, the, the number of claims they push off their desk, then, then things would start moving a lot faster, and there would be fewer, fewer appeals. So there's probably something to that idea. Just if if people were paid according to doing it right, as opposed to just getting it done. Yep. Anytime there's money involved, free money, people are going to find some way to beat the system and obtain that free money. Right. Right. And and we do keep talking about the people who are doing a good job, but it's really hard to to look at those people and, and, and then look at these 350,000 people in, in the appeals backlog and, and justify, you know, I, I mean, we keep we just keep hearing good workers, there's good workers. Well, they seem to be doing being outdone by the, the people who are screwing things up, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's why you get remands. They send them back and they keep going back and forth, and you know there are mistakes in the claims, so. Right. You know, I think the BVA could do a better job and look at these claims and granting it, and then then holding the person that made the mistake accountable. Mm-hmm. So, and I've well, seen, you know, <clears throat> if they have to remand a claim more than twice, uh, that claim should be awarded. Uh, that's ridiculous. 
Church. If they can't get it right within two remands, there's something seriously wrong. Someone, I mean, what's going on with that? Well, you know, Alicia... For the same reasons. Yeah. Alicia has talked about how... um, And and our, our partner, Glenn Bergman, has talked about how what we'll see is is a claim will get remanded for one thing because they don't want to remand it for more than one thing at a time. So it'll get set, sent back six times because it, it makes the board look back bad to have everything done at once. So they just get sent back over and over and over again, which is a horrible system. But when they're sending it back for the same reasons. Yeah. I mean, not different reasons. This is for the same reasons. Now, there's, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. Do we see that very often? We see that occasionally. Um, sometimes with medical opinions or something, it goes back to the regional office, and then they say, oh, yeah, we're sending it back to the board, and the development hasn't been done, the addendum hasn't been issued, nothing's happened. Uh, we see that, I want to say, somewhat frequently. Or what we'll see is a case that gets remanded, and they make a mistake on the remand. Um, I want to say we had... This wasn't a client, but we had somebody call, and they, um, it had been like, I want to say a stomach condition, and they had to have the VA examiner make an addendum opinion, and so they sent it back for them to write, to answer a couple questions that the board had, and when the examiner wrote it back, he said um, the veteran's hearing loss. He contributed to an ear condition. He didn't even have the right condition, so when it got back up, and nobody caught it. Nobody caught it until it got back up to the board, and then the board was like, this is a big error. It has to go back for them to fix it and actually like, you know, comment on the stomach condition. That takes months to go back through. Oh, yeah. It's like a friend of mine who was awarded service connection for his ears. He had filed a claim due to chemical exposure, and it's been proven that he was exposed to chemicals. And they denied his exposure to his lungs and everything else that he wasn't exposed. However, they did award his service connection to his ears due to to chemical exposure. (laughs) Wow. That's a first. I wonder if we can use it as a precedent. Mm, I don't know. It's just a, it's a quagmire, isn't it, Gerald? Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, ears and tendonitis, they based it on uh, chemical, uh, biological and chemical warfare agents. Wow. But uh, yet the rest of the body wasn't there, evidently. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> but uh, so. the judge, even on the remand, chastised, because it's been going on so long, chastised the AMC and, uh, uh, for not doing their job. I mean, she, uh, it keeps getting sent back for the same exact reason. Well, it seems like they're creating an awful lot of work for themselves if they're doing that as opposed to just doing it right the first well, time. Uh, well, uh, that, and I don't think they do anything. I think they just put it back in the archives and let it sit a year or two and then bring it back out, send it back up the ladder. Uh, well, so it, it appears. <laughs> So Pummel yesterday said they were going to try to address some of these issues. He said that two years ago they started bringing all of their uh, benefits employees to Baltimore to to do their training, their six-week training. 
and then they go back to their regional offices to do another six weeks worth of training. And he said they're going to start soon doing that with the managers too, which I know it seems like he might start there. But <laughs> they should have already been trained at their manager level. Right. Well, they said they were trained in the regional offices, and so instead of getting the, the VA training, they were getting whatever the cultural uh, training was for those offices. And he said in some cases, like, a regional office will be really good at PTSD claims and not really anything else. So everybody gets trained in PTSD tra claims, but they have no idea how to do a traumatic brain injury claim. So he said right. that they took everyone away, and then there are some people who need specialty training and things like PTSD and military sexual trauma and traumatic brain injury. So that's what they're working on now. It's enlarged. I think they should open a training center somewhere and set their employees through the training center and don't let them out into the, into the, to the real world until they start passing tests and know what they're doing. <laughs> well, that should be a quality assurance <laughs> issue. Yeah. Go ahead. They put a training center in Baltimore, and apparently they're going to open one soon in Denver and so they don't have to mm -hmm. send everyone to Baltimore. So that started two weeks or two years ago. Well, there's there's much difference between regional offices. One regional office might be, uh, uh, you know, in favor of the veteran on a particular claim. Another regional office for the same exact claim would deny it. Exactly, and exactly. We have no consistency across the board. I mean, that's... And, uh, that right there alone indicates that they do have serious issues within the administration. It should be constant. I mean, we have 138 CFR, and uh, they ought to be able to, to follow that across the board. Right, right. So he also said yesterday, they asked him about how VA has more whistleblower cases than any other federal agency, and he said he thought that was a good thing because uh, it shows that people within VA feel safe coming forward, um, and and it gives VA uh, or people are coming forward because they see all the problems and and they know that things need to be fixed. But then he said that Veterans Benefits, the Veterans Benefits Administration, had never punished a whistleblower before that he could remember. So this morning I went and I, I checked because that seemed kind of odd that. You know, VA has been known for punishing their whistleblowers lately, and it seemed kind of odd to me that the the health administration side would be doing that and the benefits administration wouldn't. So I had to go way, 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 way back in the archives to find out that they did it earlier this month. So there was a, yeah, there was a guy who was working in the Baltimore office, actually, and he's a disabled veteran, went was uh, deployed to, the, to Iraq, and he couldn't, he had a claim in, and VA lost the claim. So he started asking around the office and trying to get help with the claim, and, and no one would help him. And so he went to his Congress member and, and filed a complaint. Um, VA responded to that by firing him. So, yeah. Office Inspector General goes in and says, you know, that's that's not a good reason to to fire someone, the VA said, we fired him because we told him not to do that. <laughs> told him not to take him. Um, and then they found his claim, like, within a year. So I, I guess he's all taken care of, and they've rehired him. That's why he was in the headlines this month. So I, I guess uh, Hummel maybe has a short memory. 
sounded like you went to a roast. <laughs> <laughs> I was having a hard time sitting there and not screaming, actually. <laughs> well, it's I could imagine. He did uh, sort it out and he got his job back, or she got her job back. Yeah. I could see. I could see Paul Sullivan going to that and seeing him sit there being quiet about that one. <laughs> no, I've been getting text messages from him all night long, and he has not been quiet today. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then he said that he wished that every veteran would file a claim and that they would then have a good database to keep track of everyone's health issues. And he said that would be a wonderful thing to have for the guys who have been exposed to the burn pits. I seriously thought I was going to scream in the middle of this meeting because they fought for how long to get VA to set up a registry for the, the burn pit veterans, and they couldn't couldn't get them to do it. When they finally did get one set up, it was broken. Yeah. They still denied them. Well, there's that. They haven't acknowledged that it's an issue yet. So. That's a burden. Anything new on those systems is a burden. That's why they're reluctant to do it. And well, their the families should have a, uh, their spouses uh, should have a legitimate claim also uh, from uh, the ailments that they brought back. I uh, think they will. I think as the, uh, the loss goes through. Well, the military's a dangerous place, folks. <laughs> you don't, you know, you don't have to be a combat casualty. I mean, there's so much chemical and exposure issues with asbestos and things like that that, you know, there's a lot of veterans that, that have died over the years that were exposed to something and never received a right. dime from the VA. Well, Senate so. had a hearing yesterday about toxic exposure to veterans. I don't for that that bill that they've been trying to push through. And one of the things um, Senator Richard Burrow was arguing that the Blue Water veterans should get should have a presumptive connection for their exposure. So we'll we'll see where that goes. I know you guys have talked about that a lot, and you deal with a lot of veterans who have that issue, and we certainly do. Well, the VA has been ordered to redefine the uh, waterways. Right. The bays and stuff, too. So. But they've got to the, Last I heard, they would get the information out before Thanksgiving. Oh. That's so, good. We'll have to look for we'll, that. Seriously. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Checks in the mail, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> no. Didn't I mean, John you say they added to, some more ships to John? I think yeah, they had 22 more ships to the list. 22, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. So, but, yeah, but I know the guys are working hard. It's a tireless effort because, I mean, these guys got the same issues that people that were actually on, you know, on the ground. And these guys are in the bays, or ships are anchored in the bays, and they drink the water. And right. so it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's sad. You know, well, they're splitting the hairs. Right. They just, there was just a story about how the, the ships were pulling water from the from the ocean into their ships to use, to drink and to, to shower right. in. It turned out that that right. may all have contaminated as well, so... Yeah, they pull it into the induction system, they uh, desalinate it, and it, some of it goes to their steam plant, to run their steam plant, and it's kind of like, uh-huh. you know, distilling water, because then they'll, they'll tap some of it off and put it in the ship's drinking supply and shower supply system. So it's possible they were exposed more so even than the guys yeah. that were on land. Yeah, well, okay. it's true. Yeah. yeah, even submarines, same way. 
submarines make the oxygen out of out of the water. Do you know that? No. Yeah, they take the oxygen out of the water, and that's how they breathe. Oh wow. Yeah. So it's all a big it's all a big science experience down there in the water. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay up here. <laughs> I think it should be, you know, compensated myself. It's, uh, you know, I don't know why they're dodging and hiding from it because it's, you know, it's going to happen, and they're obligated to have to make it. And why should we have to bend over backwards and ask for these bills to go through Congress and things like that to fix something? It should already be a benefit for these folks. That's just a waste of money and time. Right. Well, the other thing they talked about in that that hearing yesterday was the Camp Lejeune vets, the ones who were exposed to contaminated water from I think the 50s until the 1980s. Not just veterans, but families of veterans. Yes. Right. You know, if you lived on uh, post, you drank that water. Yeah. So, you know, that should be a bigger issue because you've got civilians involved now. Right. Have we seen a lot of those claims, sir? You know, honestly, we haven't. We've seen um, a few Camp Lejeune ones recently, but no, um, no spouses. Uh-huh. Yeah, just veterans. What kind of issues are they? Um, actually, there's things that are non-presumptive to, so they've developed a cancer or something similar that VA is saying, you know, oh, this isn't due to Camp Lejeune, and then the first thing you do when you Google the condition is one of the causes or one of the risk factors can be exposure to these types of chemicals. That's something obvious. Yeah, we're pretty successful with those. We don't take them. I think. We've taken, yeah, we don't see as many. VA is better about granting them in general, but um, yeah, we take we take a handful every year, I think. Do you guys ever see any spina bifida claims from chemical exposure? You know, it's funny. We just had one come in, but literally like two days ago. I somebody in the, my intake staff is working on it. Um, I haven't even seen it yet, but with, that's okay. the first one I think I've ever seen um, that's gotten to us anyway. Okay. Is that something you're hearing about? Well, that claim should be kind of right, shouldn't it? I mean, you know, it's other than going through the process. Yeah, I think the reason we don't see any of them is because VA just grants them so so regularly, um, or just they grant them right away. This one might be a case, I haven't gotten the brief yet, it might be a case where they're contesting that the veteran served in an Agent Orange area. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. that might be the case with this one, but generally, no, we don't see these. It's pretty rare for us. Well. The other big oh, news yesterday. What's that? Go ahead. I was going to say ahead. the other big news we saw yesterday was um, the American Legion called for Allison Hickey, who's an uh, undersecretary for veterans benefits to either resign or be fired um, because of the this, this scandal with the um, uh, moving moving senior executives around without giving them appropriate pay. Or it sounds like there was a lot more involved in that as far as pushing people out who wanted to be in those positions and for people who wanted to be in Philadelphia or whatever, there was some, some sort of manhandling going on. So American Legion had called for Hickey to retire before or resign before 
during the, the wait time scandals, and now they've called for her again to, to retire or to resign. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. There were two executives underneath her who were also um, recommended for punishment in that IG report. Uh, Haven't we got uh, some some good response uh, feedback on her from Adam Pender's job? Allison Hickey has actually been a godsend to a lot of veterans in the past year or so, and uh, yes, she really cares. Uh, I've seen her. I've I've seen personal something that you know that involves my family personally, where she got involved, and you know, I mean, it's the American Legion and these veteran service organizations. You know, they've got some political clout, and they have a lot of uh, lobbyists and stuff in D.C. But the problem is with the agencies like the American Legion and, and all the, all of them, you know, they have claims and service representatives and service officers to help veterans file claims. Uh, their issue is not being politicized in D.C. I think they should do a better job of training their employees to help these veterans with their claims and care a little bit about these claims in order to let these veterans, you know, proceed to the V.A., without hitting roadblocks because the majority of these mistakes made and these claims are made by their representatives and not the veteran. So uh, they need some type of procedure and some type of test themselves in order to make sure that they're efficient in their job before they start crying wolf about somebody else. They need to make sure their own bed's made up, you know, and, and, and they're doing their job correctly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually know how that process works. Do you at all as far as the training? I know they're trained, no. but I don't know if there's tests or anything like that. No, I don't know. Well, I'm, I, let's put sense, it. In my when I filed my first claim, I use a. I'm not going to say the. I'm not going to say the group, okay? Because you know, that would be detrimental. But I walked into a uh, post, I guess you call it, and everybody in there was sitting at a bar, and there were three sheets in the wind. And this guy wanted to do my claim, and could barely speak. Oh no! <laughs> so he started writing percentages on a piece of paper, and I looked up and I said, "Let me see this a minute." And I got up and walked out the door. <laughs> I, I would assume that they've changed some in recent years. I mean, if you look at some of the, <laughs> if you look at some of the the posts, they've done things like the VFW post I belong to in Arlington is, um, you know, brightly lit and no smoking, and and people do things Good. like volunteer work, and so I mean, and it's it's a younger, it's a more mixed group of of veterans, but there's another yep. group in. Um, Denver, where they got rid of the bar and put it in an art gallery and put the the post right on the the mall in in downtown Denver, and their their membership cool. has gone away. So I, I think it depends on where you go. Um, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of those VSOs are really good-hearted, but I, I think that they're cut on time and, and expected to do a lot more for VAs the, as time goes on and as the um, number of veterans coming through goes up. Yeah, and I think they need to qualify their uh, they need to qualify their claims people a little better too, and give a test to make sure they know what they're doing a little bit before they turn them loose because that you know that causes a lot of problems, mm. a lot of problems. And uh, it's training is what it is. And uh, they don't screen people to qualify them; they take people who volunteer because nobody else will do it or somebody's brother-in-law. You know, it's got to be it's got to be a little better system. But you know, they don't get paid to a certain level anyway. So once you get to the state level, it gets a higher level. You you know you get paid, but you know, volunteer system is, is beneficial, but, you know, it's not effective. Right. You know, that's why I yeah. always recommend get good support. If you got a denial, go ahead and make the call and get an attorney, folks. You're going to need it. 
give us a call. We're always happy to do a free consultation with you. And if we can't help you, we will refer you to somebody who can. We promise. Right. And remember, folks, there's three letters. I-M-E. That's the big issue, big key. If you, you know, you need to get an IME, even though you're dealing with the VA, because sometimes people see things from a different light. Uh, that's so important on a claim, uh, having the IME and the IMOs. Uh, uh, but go to a, a local comp doctor. They'll, you know, take your records with you. But if you can get your trading position to do it. Yeah, it's it's always best to have the doctor who knows you and who's treated you the most yes. Um, yes. write your statements because that has the most credibility. Yes, right. it does. And uh, so that's that's important. Right, and it has to be an examination. Any any claim without uh, medical evidence, uh, yep. it's not going to go very far. That's all. Right. You know, and there's. All kinds of docs out there, folks, that do this stuff. And remember, you get what you pay for. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so. But, uh, the other big issue. Say again? The other big issue today is whether they're going to pass a budget or at least a temporary budget so that we can make it through the end of the year. Um, Pummel said that that doesn't necessarily affect veterans' paychecks or anything like that, but it does affect whether they process a claim or not or whether they start any new ones. So if everyone's um, on on leave, uh, unpaid leave, then they're not going to be processing processing any of these new claims. But we do that did happen here a few years ago when there was a shutdown. Um, veterans still get paid; they still get the benefits. Um, but no one's in there working on claims. You know, our office can't get through to anybody, obviously, and um, so everything is just sitting. But the important thing is that at least the benefits still come through. It is unfortunate that the claims don't, but you know, at least there's something for the veterans to rely on. Right. Yeah. So now yeah, but aren't they? Uh, aren't they talking? They're going to pass this budget. It sounds like. It, at least for tonight. I mean, it, they, it yeah. sounds like there's going to be at least a stopgap until the end of the year, and then they'll duke it out again at, at the holidays and make everybody angry because they have to stay out late on, you know, Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll pass through. I worked for the VA back in the 90s when we had our shutdown. That was fun. People involved in direct, people involved in direct patient care could not leave. They had to work for free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a you know major. That's like seventeen days. Yeah, that was a good good long one. Yep. And then the last one I had, I, the last one I had, I took my boat down to, to one of my lakes down here to go fishing, and I pulled up, and they had the the ramps blocked because uh, it was a federally controlled lake for the Corps of Engineers, uh, and nobody could launch boats. <laughs> so that could so. affect the veterans too. <laughs> They could, especially for PTSD vets. Need that? They need that. They need that recreational armpit there to help out, you know. But sometimes yeah. it didn't didn't work out that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure. I mean, everyone here is hoping. Everyone in DC is hoping that they come up with something. So. 
uh, they'll stop it. They'll be a stopgap measure. Right now, the big issue is Planned Parenthood. Right, uh, which has nothing to do with um, military or veterans affairs, but, hey, we'll hold it up anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they look at, you know, like uh, – uh, well, noted congressperson said the other day that uh, they they started talking about veterans and they said it's not an important issue right now. We've got other fish to fry. So it goes to show you where we stand. Yeah, that was something they talked about yesterday at this this session too. In um, they were talking about the debate and how the in the second debate no one talked about veteran issues hardly at all. And they kind of went after Jake, Jake Tapper at CNN for not for not asking questions. So he started a, a what's that? Trump brought it up one time. Right. Right. Yeah. So Jake Tapper. Right. Jake Tapper started a blog. I I think this week that's that's focusing just on the candidates and veterans issues. And so far, there isn't much on it. <laughs> so, right. Well, I think they're going to have to come up with a plan, you know, in order to get things published out to get their ideas out there. Some have good general ideas, but you know, I mean, veterans don't want to see a general idea. They want to see the biscuits and gravy in this plan. They want to see what the meat right. of the thing is. You know, you know, we right. have a bigger vested interest in that issue than anyone else. So, you know, that's 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 that's, that's, that's our standpoint. Yeah. Well, right now, in the past, they promised so much uh, for veterans, and then when it come down to it, they, uh, after they get elected, they seem to let veterans fall by the wayside. It's not too many of them that uh, honor their commitment towards veterans, and that's really been problematic. Because a lot of these uh, claims issues are just a repeat from one to another to another to another. And a lot of the same issues uh, arise, but yet you got to fight each and every one of them individually. Uh, uh, right. And, and doing that, how, how they expect to eliminate a backlog? Uh, they ought to group them together better than what they do. And uh, they're not doing it. Yeah, they have yeah, no was, intention of doing it. Right. Yeah, I, I don't understand if that's just a cultural issue or if it's a financial issue. You know, the, the candidate gets into office and finds out how much it will actually cost to change things and, and kind of backs down. But when you look at the long-term cost versus the, the immediate cost to fix something, it, it seems like it would be much more cost-effective to go ahead and make those big changes and, and take care of the problem. Yeah. Uh, Linda Bilmus, uh, Professor Bilmus, uh, she had the best idea of any any I've heard of. She uh-huh. said, go ahead and warn the claim and then come back and do a sporadic uh, audit like the IRS does. Uh, right. Uh, uh, she had a really great idea, I think, and, and a lot of thought went into that. Uh, and it sounded logical. She claimed, uh, you know, she said there's not that many veteran uh, frauds out there, per se, you know, percentage-wise. Right. With born uh, uh, running a system such as they're trying to run. Uh, 
mm-hmm. should be operate more like the IRS, where they just go ahead and say here, and then but if red flag jumps up, then they come back and audit you, and then you have to do a little bit more uh, due diligence to prove up your claim, maybe. Imagine the figures she offered up for how much veterans' issues were going to cost over the next decade or so. Have been enough to scare lawmakers away from anything that that actually would mean paying for them. So, you know, well, she's talking to billions. That uh, that that's uh, probably so. But however, look at all the money they give away to people. Uh, I mean, individuals or countries that are that come back and want to kill us, kill Americans. Wouldn't that money be better spent than taking care of the veterans? Yeah, I guess the the idea is to prevent that, prevent us from having veterans who are hurt. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. It'd be costly. I mean, they've let it get to a point where it'd be you know, very costly now, I'm sure. Right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in this election. You have to have a military, and you have to take care of your veterans no matter what. Right. You know, because if you don't have a military, you don't have nothing. Yeah. Or we wouldn't wouldn't be free enough to host a big radio show like this and have guests (laughs) like you guys come on. We would be speaking German or Japanese right now. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Making Toyotas. <laughs> we are making Toyotas. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. It's a good company too, though. So I'm not. I'm not being derogatory. I spent a lot of years in total plants. So those are good people. <laughs> good people. What's next on well, the horizon, Rosie? What's next on the horizon for you, uh, Kelly and Alicia? You guys got any um, outreach going on? Or? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I was just in Puerto Rico doing outreach. That's true. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, doing a workshop down there for some veterans and looking at some claims. Yeah, we've been trying to do more with women veterans. Um, so the big announcement today on that is both the Marine Corps, well, all the services are supposed to say today whether women shouldn't serve in infantry roles. We're expecting the Marine Corps to say, uh, we think there's some places where they shouldn't be, and we're expecting the Army to say, yeah, have at it. And the Secretary of the Navy has already said, let them, let them go for it. So it should be an interesting yeah. day, but trying to reach out more to female veterans and let them know we can help them with um those military sexual trauma claims, which are, are can be really difficult to get through. Oh yeah, they have, they've already had issues, especially what's what's the kids on the submarines taking pictures of the officer ladies in the showers. Right. <laughs> you remember yeah. that? So you know. Yeah. You know the things like that are going to be more evident and are going to happen more. I mean, I was in the navy and they started putting females on board tenders, and it actually worked out pretty good. But the ships became known as a love boat out to sea, so. You know, I'll let people but make their own mind about that. But the women can't behave themselves, or the men can't they, behave themselves? Both. Is it? <laughs> uh, the men. It's always the men. <laughs> yeah, it's always the men's fault. <laughs> <laughs> women 
are taking pictures of themselves. (laughs) (laughs) That might happen, too, with some of the stuff going on in the world. (laughs) (laughs) But we're totally out of time, Gerald. Oh, my land. Girls, I I tell you, uh, Alicia and Kelly, uh, it's always a blessing to have you two on. You you do give us such good information, and you bring a breath of life to the broadcast here. Uh, And hopefully we'll be able to get you back on real soon. Keep us updated on some stuff. I'd like to be here. It, uh, like I say, it, it, uh, <laughs> it's a wonder. And we'll talk to these men out here and be sure they <laughs> need the girls. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, and boy. Use, use, use colored film. <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah, we're so glad to have you on, and and uh, uh, we we do appreciate it. So, and Birdman and Moore, uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget Birdman and Moore Bet Lawyers. Uh, go to their website, and if you have a question about your claim or feel like you might need legal advice, uh, don't hesitate. Give them a call. They'll uh, they'll certainly advise you properly. And take good care of you. So, uh, and don't forget, had it. Uh, uh, <laughs> in there, had it. Uh, they have a donate button. It. Uh, no one receives any, any, uh, any payment. Uh, we're all volunteers, and the funds they accept is just just to keep the Habit uh, podcast and, and their website up to date and stuff. It's all for, for maintenance, and that's it. And so uh, with that, this will be Gerald Cook with John Stacy. We'll be signing off today. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basher Show.